Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmill, an American agent here to gather intel and eliminate threats. Today, I'm joined by my friend and fellow Death Watch fan, one of the coaches of Vanguard Tactics, winner of the coveted 2021 Best Ponytail in 40K Award, as well as being the 2021 ITC Best in Faction Player for Death Watch. He is the James Bond to my Ethan Hunt, Mr. Michael Costello. Mike, how's it going? Great. I mean, you know, Best Ponytail is far better than Best Death Watch. I'm so proud of my award and I would like to thank my family. Yeah, great. Great. Really looking forward to this. Um, going to be awesome. Yeah, this should be fun. Um, Steve is uh, out again this week. Uh, he stubbed his toe or something. I'm not sure. But no, he's probably, uh, you know, getting a shipment. Of, do you guys have Costco in the UK? Uh, we do, yes. Okay, yeah. So he's probably picking up another load of uh, baby oil from Costco. Mm. Um, but uh, all right. So sponsor acknowledgments. We can't forget to thank Siege Studios. Uh, thank you, Siege, for continuing to sponsor our, our podcast and uh, as well as all the um, contributions you make towards the stream games and the rest of Vanguard Tactics community. If you need anything commission painted, uh, please look no further than Siege Studios. And uh, let's also not forget that the BAO workshop um, is uh, coming up. Uh, BAO and uh, KublaCon is, is coming up in May in just a couple of weeks. And there are still tickets. There's a couple of tickets available for the workshop. I think the VIP tickets are completely sold out, but uh, you can double check online and make sure of that. Uh, don't ever trust me. I'm a lawyer, a liar, a lawyer. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, tickets are still on sale, at least for the, for the, um, uh, the non-VIP workshop tickets. Um, and remember, you get to go to the workshop. You'll get a couple hours of hands-on practice with Steven, uh, Michael, and uh, VT coach Chris. Um, the VIP tickets, if they're still available, they have additional swag and some uh, bonuses and going to dinner with uh, all the coaches after, after the workshop. But uh, either way, I can tell you, I having done the workshop at LVO, uh, it's a, it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun and it's, it's a great way to sort of warm yourself up and get your, your brain in, into Warhammer mode, uh, for the tournament that starts the next day. So, uh, double check it. If you're going to be at BAO, I, I highly recommend going to the workshop. Uh, and then don't forget to like, share, subscribe, give us a five-star review on whatever podcast service you're using. You know, we really appreciate all the support we've been getting. We just ask you to keep doing it so we can keep building up the popularity of, uh, of our efforts here. So we want to get the word out to, to not only provide you guys good content, but keep preaching that message of uh, sportsmanship and fair play that we think is so important for competitive play. Uh, Steve did ask me today to read out a, uh, a we had another recent review. Um, this is from Autobot Jeff. Um, he said, a great deep dive, but still light enough to be a fun listen and well-produced, so it's easy on the ears as well. Picked up some great tips on list building. Uh, thank you, Autobot Jeff. Appreciate it. And we appreciate all the comments and, and positive feedback you guys have been sending in, so thank you. Uh, now, we did have a listener question, uh, and Mike, you can you get to jump in and help me on this one because I, I think this is this is a great question, but I think it's there's a lot of, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's almost a podcast unto itself to answer this one. Uh, and the question comes from, uh, RYMD527, uh, are Necrons still a force to reckon with if played correctly? Um, my initial thought uh, is yes. Any, any faction is viable if you play them correctly. It's just some factions, you know, when we say they're struggling or, you know, that they're, they're not the most efficient right now, it might be, you might feel like you're playing the game on hard mode. Uh, I certainly went through that uh, last year when I was playing Imperial Fists for a good part of 2021. Um, and the end of 2020. So um, 
I think that Necrons, and I've got a, I've got a Necron collection at home. I love the Necrons. I love the idea of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think they're still viable. I think the the updates that they got in the last data sheet aren't quite enough. But I think that it's a good step forward. So, uh, Mike, what do you think? Uh, as you say, I think every faction is viable. Um, the difficulty to playing a faction comes in whether whether you know it well enough, whether you can adapt on the fly to certain matchups. The meta is always changing. Uh, you're going to face a lot of variety uh, in the armies, especially as new books come out. So being able to uh, change the way you play and the way you use your units is critical to that. Necrons have a lot of things going for them. Uh, army-wide objective secured is huge. So long as you're leveraging uh, assets like that, I think um, you're, you're always going to stand a chance. You've got to play the mission. Yes, Necrons don't have incredible damage output. Okay. Uh, yes, Armor of Contempt hurts Necrons quite a lot. But you can still play the mission. Um, you invest your points in making sure you've got units to deal with certain threats. Uh, and you definitely stand a chance. I think Necrons are a, a very enjoyable faction. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, certainly stand a chance. Never count Necrons out if they're played well. Yeah, and you can just look at some of the tournament results around the world and you'll see that Necrons, are, there's still always that one or two players that um, that are placing fairly high in tournaments. You just, you have to, if you're going to play any faction, this is whether it's Death Watch or Tau or Necrons or the new Tyranid book or whatever it is, if you're going to play a faction, you got to own that faction. You can't jump every time or you jump around, go to something else for a couple of weeks. Oh, I want to go back to Necrons. Oh, they're not doing well for me. Oh, I'll jump over to, to Eldar for a couple of weeks. Oh, I'll jump back. You have to pick a book, own that book. And no matter what comes along with FAQs, data slates, new codexes, know that codex backwards and forwards. And you're going to need a big collection of models so you can adjust your list on the fly maybe. But I think the skill of the pilot should never be underestimated when it comes to any faction to either. Yeah, 100%. That said, I, I also do think that um, the reanimation protocols should activate on a four, not a five. Um, just going to throw that out there. I think that would that would go a long way to playing into the flavor of the army, but also make them um, just a little bit more resilient. So uh, that's my two cents. So, all right. Um, now, uh, oh, I wanted to start mentioning, if you want to find us on social media so that you can send us, obviously you can go on... Uh, on uh, the at Vanguard Tactics um, Instagram page, and if you want to leave us uh, questions like this, or if you want to leave us, uh, you know, we, you know, we'll, Steve will see the reviews on whatever podcast service you use. But uh, if you want to find us directly, uh, you can contact Stephen on Instagram at, at the Vanguard Tactics. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at, at Infantry Lawyer, uh, and you can find Michael at, at VT underscore Mike. Uh, we're all available on Instagram, and uh, you can send any questions and. Um, you know, you can comment on exactly how fantastic uh, Mike's ponytail and his backstage dancing skills are. So all that kind of stuff, we want to hear about it. So uh, please don't hesitate to, to look us up on, uh, on Instagram. And uh, also don't forget to go to uh, www.vanguardtactics.com. Uh, no spaces, no underscores in there, just Vanguard Tactics, all one word, dot com uh, to get more information about the Academy. And speaking of which, uh, Mike, what is going on in the Academy right now? Well. We're nearing the end of the first intake of the brand new 2022 Academy. Uh, 16 week course. We're on week uh, 12 at the moment. So there's only four weeks left and we're looking to reopen the Academy 
this summer. Uh, everybody's had a fantastic time. The current module dropping next week is uh, the terrain module. So each week of the 16 weeks, uh, we look at a different aspect of the game. Perhaps it's a different phase coming up with a game plan. Uh, and then maybe it's some advanced tactics in the combat phase uh, or the like. But yeah, weekly courses, so weekly modules, 16-week course, reopening in the doors in summer. You can sign up to a waiting list. There's a cheeky little discount if you get in early just to uh, value your support. Um, yeah, so check it out, definitely. And I can tell you it's it from having been uh, previously been a, a student of the Academy and still um, you know going back to those materials uh, for my own review, it's, uh, it's quality stuff, guys. If you have any uh, notion about getting into competitive play, or even if you've been in competitive play and you're, you know, you're, you're wanting to place a little higher, you, you feel like you need just a little bump up in your game, the Academy is the place to get it, no, no doubt. Uh, so now, um, I'm gonna, we, I wanted to start a new segment uh, every week or every couple weeks as something comes up. Uh, we're going to call it the Rules Lawyer segment. Um, after the chat that uh, Steve and I had a couple weeks ago about the operation and interaction of the Praetorian plate with other abilities and traits, I get the idea to do this segment. Uh, I'm going to put forth a rule interaction uh, that may cause some people, even experienced TOs, a little bit of a headache. And we're going to look at it in detail and see how it is supposed to operate so we can maybe clear up um, a, a rules question that you guys may have had uh, for a while or something that's just been, you know, something new that pops up and, you know, we think, well, Huh, I wonder how this works with that. So uh with with the uh the recent advent of Armor of Contempt, I wanted to look a little further into um how it might interact with some other abilities. There've I've seen some we've had some discussion about it on our um on our VT coaches uh group chat. Uh so and I think it's something worth bringing up. So uh this week we're gonna look at the Death Guard Warlord trait Rotten Constitution and how it interacts with Armor of Contempt. Uh now word for word. Uh, rules is written, Rotten Constitution's text reads, add one to the toughness characteristic of this warlord. That's bullet point one. And bullet point two says, each time an attack with an armor penetration characteristic of negative one or negative two is allocated to this warlord, that attack had an armor has an armor penetration characteristic of zero instead. So negative one and negative two automatically get set to zero. Uh, obviously, Armor of Contempt reads, each time an attack is allocated to an Adeptus Astartes, Sanctic Astartes, yada, yada, yada. Models worsen the armor penetration characteristic of that attack by one. So obviously, you can see how people could think that oh, they might stack if if you take in both abilities. Say that they op they activate when the attack is quote allocated to the Death Guard Warlord model. So then it stands to reason that a negative three attack could get dropped to a negative two by armor contempt, and then would automatically trigger rotten constitution to drop it down to zero. But I don't think that's how it works. Um, while lots of rules interactions can be kind of vague. This one's kind of key because um, the part that of, of Armor of Contempt that I glossed over is um, the last bullet point for Armor of Contempt reads, models that are under the effects of any other rule that worsens or reduces the armor penetration characteristic of an attack do not, the rule, does, the rule of Armor of Contempt does not apply to those. So I don't think the two stack. Mike, do you have any thoughts? Uh, it's an interesting one. I think, I think people are probably thinking, well, um, it's not reducing the AP it's replacing the characteristic, right? And I think that's where people might be going, you know, and that is a, a certain level of ru rules lowering, um, thinking, okay, well, it's not, it's technically not reducing the AP, it's changing the AP completely to something else. But I think we can all agree that making AP1 and AP2 zero is definitely reducing the AP and therefore shouldn't stack with Armor of Contempt. 
So I think there's just a, a wording is what's making people think that that maybe it works. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that it's a reduction in AP and therefore wouldn't stack with Armor of Contempt. So yeah, I think we agree. Model rules as even rules as written and certainly rules as intended. You're not supposed to stack Armor of Contempt with anything else. That's why they were going through with Storm Shields and Relic Shields and all those other things. So uh, okay, so I'm glad we 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 covered that. Um, now let's get on to the main topic for the day: the Xenomorphs. So I certainly wanted to. Uh, I've been excited to get into this book. Um, I actually sold off a good part of my my Tyranid collection during the pandemic. Uh, but, uh, I, this book kind of makes me want to get back into them. I'll be honest. Mike, you have your copy of the codex there with you, right? Yep. I've got it right here. All right. Sensational. So, uh, for anybody wanting to follow, follow along at home, we're going to start with the, the army wide rules, the detachment abilities on page 51. Uh, and we're just going to kind of go from there. So, um, the. First of the detachment ability says a hive tendril detachment is one that only includes models with the hive tendril keyword. You know, simple stuff, obviously. The, the Tyranid model gets it. So, but I think that's important because I don't think a lot of the GSR or any of the GSR models are going to have in from the from the GSC codex are going to have that hive tendril keyword. So this is going to definitely separate the two codexes out. I think that's where this becomes important. Yeah. Right? There's nothing in the G I don't I haven't read GSC codex, but um there's no hive tendril keyword in that book, right? I don't believe there is. I'm also curious if any of the Forge-Rod Tyranids have the Hide Tendril keyword, because I feel like it's a new keyword that they've introduced in this book, um, but that's something I'd have to double-check. That's a good question, too. Uh, yeah, I, haven't, I, didn't, I don't have any of the current Forge-World stuff, so yeah, that's, that's definitely something to look into. So if, you, if you're planning on running a Dimacaran or something else that's not in this codex, definitely double-check to make sure it has that Hive Tendril keyword, otherwise you might be breaking your, your detachment abilities. All right, all troops units, of course, have uh, obsec, but it only says troops units, nothing else. Um, and then rare organisms, so you, it says you can only have one hive tyrant per detachment. Uh, no stacking up multiple winged hive tyrant, other hive tyrant, and the swarm lord all in one detachment anymore. Sorry, folks. Not, not really sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Hashtag not really sorry at all. Um, much like the the no stacking up of, of tau battlesuit commanders stop it no uh we don't need to stop the spam i'm going to start something hashtag stop 40k spam um all right so uh high fleet adaptations obviously if everything has the right same keyword you you get the high fleet adaptation this is this is the detachment specific ability um and then this is what's called hyper adaptations um each high fleet ab adaptation as you'll see when we get into the into the individual high fleets they have a the it's it's really fascinating, and I, I kind of love this this mechanic that they came up with um, because you know just like every Space Marine chapter, every Sisters of Battle uh, order, every uh, you know Tau Sept, every what have you, they all have their specific faction abilities. But usually, for say for example, like Space Marines, that you know that every every uh, chapter has their two little special abilities. Uh, White scars get advance and charge, and then they get their um, advance, uh, advance and still shoot assault weapons without penalty. Uh, Death watch get the reroll re uh, ones in combat and uh, uh, against Xenos, and they get their um, choose a battlefield roll uh, rule. Um, so this one is great because you have one that is for each high fleet, you have one that's fixed, 
and you have one that is adaptive. You, you they give you one each each high fleet is going to have a second ability, but you have the option to swap it out for something else if you want to evolve your your high fleet at at game time to have a different ability. So I think that's fantastic. It's incredibly cool. Um, you, and you'd swap it out uh, after you know who's going first as well. So your oh. nids adapt on the spot to have a different biomorphology. It's a bit like um, a Space Marine chapter. They're going to have one part of their trait and then the other part they could switch with a successor. It's kind of like that. Um, and I think it makes for a very interesting and dynamic game because obviously you could build your list thinking about what you're going to choose, but you could also pick maybe three or four different things that you're going to potentially choose during a game. Yeah, and that's and not only is that incredibly fluffy, like I love, and I don't really like the word fluffy, but I it is it is definitely in the vein, it is in the spirit of the army that that has that rule. So, um, and I and you know we I always kind of mention about having your cheat sheet, guys. If you're gonna play Tyranids, put on your cheat sheet. Don't wait until game time. Oh, let me pull out my codex and flip through, and oh, I get I get this column and this column of stuff I can choose. Pick three or four, like Mike says. Put them on your cheat sheet. If this, pick that. Or just put out, you know, copy and paste or, you know, type out into your document three or four good viable options that you might want to jump to as your your adaptation at game time that you want instead of, you know, trying to flip through your codex and waste 10, 5, 10 minutes on your clock trying to figure out what your adaptation is going to be. Don't do that. Plan ahead. So it'll make your life a lot easier and it'll make your your opponent respect you more. So, um, all right, so uh, let's. Oh, and then lastly, there's a spore seeding rule. Um, this is for anything with the keyword "living artillery," which I'm sure is biovores, and I'm not sure what else has a, that, a variety of spore mines and and that right. kind of thing. So anything with "living artillery" keyword can be included in a hive tendril detachment without preventing other units from gaining the high fleet adaptation. Um, living artillery units never gain the high fleet adaptation and living and living artillery units can be included in your army without preventing other friendly hive tendril units from benefiting from their hive. So living artillery is going to be a keyword in this. It, we already know in the data sheets um, the, that it, that is going to be in place of or in lieu of the, the hive tendril keyword, but it's not going to break your detachment if you have living artillery in your keywords so, or living artillery in your uh, in your list. So that's good to know. So uh, today, this obviously just a forewarning for everybody listening, um, because this is an entire codex and it's it, there is a lot of there's a lot of stuff in this codex, a lot of good rules and, and stuff to go through. Um, we are not going to get to everything today. So Michael and I are going to go through the high fleet adaptations. We're going to um, go through the um, the adaptive physiologies, you know, those upgrades that you can get on your on your individual models. Um, uh, like chapter master and you know master sanctity and those things like you would in the space marines um and we're gonna we're gonna get through try to get to warlord traits psychic powers and relics and hopefully get through secondaries we're not going to have the time for the strategies where we're not going to get into the data sheets today we are not going to have time because we're trying to do a you know an in-depth dive on all this stuff and there's just a lot of information i mean we've got seven different high fleets to talk about without even getting into um the the uh the custom stuff so uh, all right, so with that said, um, we will move on down to the first of the Hive Fleets. Uh, Michael, you want to start this one off with the Behemoth? Yeah, cool. So Behemoth, I think this is um, going to be popular. Quite a strong one here. Uh, and speaking of strength, so their their first bullet point. Well played. <laughs> first round of a combat. Um, if it made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention, 
then until that fighter is resolved, add one to the strength characteristic of models in that unit. Um, this is really interesting because it pushes a lot of your models that were maybe strength seven up to that special strength eight bracket. Uh, so I think this will see a, a lot of play. The adaptive bullet point. So this is the one that they can swap out. This one is reroll charges. Not bad. Yeah, decent. Decent. Um, but you can look into the the hunt biomorphologies and the lurk biomorphologies. So we've spoken about uh, the fact they can swap out their second bullet point for a trait. There's three columns. Um, there's lurk. There's feed. There's hunt. Uh, and they could pick one from there instead of of reroll charges. Yeah, and each of there's even though there's three columns, each of these high fleet adaptations is you're going to get access to two lists that that you know basically work well with the concept of this high fleet. So you're not going to get you know full uh, un unfettered access to all these other alternate traits. You're going to get access to two of the three lists for each high fleet. So I think that's also good too, where you're not going to get to go hog wild customizing your your high fleet before you go into a into a battle or into a game uh, at a, at a, at a tournament. So um yeah, I think the and and we will we may get into what's in hunt, what's in lurk, what's in feed a little bit, but for now just understand that Behemoth has hunt and lurk. So um we're we're looking at right now. I mean this right now that I look at I look at Behemoth with the plus 1 strength and the reroll charges and this screams to me very melee intensive. This is your white scars, this is your blood angels, this is your your more melee oriented, uh, your bloody rose, if you will, high fleet. And I don't know, we'll, we'll get through into some of the others that might be also more melee oriented, but this one's definitely screams. Do, do you, I mean, you've looked through everything, Mike, is this the most melee or inclined one or? I would certainly say so. I mean, if we look at the, the wall of shape, the psych power, the relic, the stratagem, they are all melee focused. Cool. So uh, go ahead. Uh, speaking of which, uh, give him the Warlord trait. So the Warlord trait is um, on an unmodified wound roll of six, you inflict a mortal wound uh, on the target in addition to any normal damage. That's with a melee attack on your Warlord. So already melee attack, mortal wounds on sixes. Not incredible, but I'm sure there's some ways to uh, work around that with the book. Yeah, you're definitely going to be looking to patch that into something that's going to give you a lot of extra attacks. And I also noticed that there's no limit of three or limit of six. This is just any any unmodified wound roll of six inflicts a mortal wound. So you could technically go hog wild on this and do six, seven, eight mortal wounds if you got that crazy with your dice rolls. So, and I love the name, Monstrous Hunger. That's just, it's so visceral. I love it. Uh, all right. The Psychic Power is also uh, has a great name, Unstoppable Onslaught. It's a blessing with a warp charge value of seven. Uh, if manifested, so like one friendly behemoth uh, unit within synaptic link range. And we'll talk about the synaptic link in a second. Uh, synaptic link range of this psyker until the start of your next turn. Each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, add one to that attack's wound roll. So especially with that stacking with the plus one strength when you charge, you're just making something or a, or a unit of something just beast-like in melee. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, imagine. Uh, imagine getting to strength eight with a unit charging like a knight and then you've got plus one to wound as well you're winning knights on threes anything below strength eight um, you're going to be wounding on twos you know even pushing some of your units that are strength four to strength five 
means you wound marines on twos with plus one wound, right? So yeah. it's quite a crazy change of efficiency with this psychic power. Yeah, you, I mean, I'm thinking about, because uh, I always liked um, running giant blobs of uh, hormigons. I just love the idea of, you know, very starship troopers or that horde of things rolling across the field, just slamming a horde of, of hormigons into some poor squad of, of intercessors or even a squad of blade guard is going to get overwhelmed getting hit with, you know, 30, 40 attacks at even if it's just a strength five or a strength four, and then with the plus one to wound, getting all those plus two, those two pluses to wound is just going to be ridiculous. Yeah, you're going to mince through some stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right, you want to give him the relic? Yep. So this is uh, one of Stephen's favorites, monstrous musculature. He's so <laughs> muscly that he gets plus one damage to his melee weapons. Fantastic. Which is quite interesting. This is all of his melee weapons. It's not just one. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is quite different, I guess, to sometimes we've seen plus one damage to a melee weapon. But yeah. So plus one damage to all your melee weapons. Strong. So, uh, yeah. So if you've got something like a Carnifex or a Hive Tyrant that's got a variety of different weapons, they're going to get it on everything. So uh, that's a good catch, too. That's cool. Uh, and then lastly, the uh, Stratagem. Uh, unparalleled Ferocity. This is a 1CP or 2CP strat. Uh, use this stratagem in the fight phase when a Behemoth infantry unit, excluding character units, excluding, so no characters here, people, from your army that has not fought this phase is selected as the target of a melee attack. So when somebody's attacking your stuff, until the attacking model's unit has finished making its attacks, each time a model in that Behemoth unit is destroyed, instead of using any rules that are triggered when that model is destroyed, do not remove. It's a fight on death. I'll just, without reading all the other text, it's a fight on death. So if you haven't fought yet, it's a fight on death. Um, if the Behemoth Infantry Unit has the Endless Multitude keyword, the stratagem costs 1 CP. Otherwise, it costs 2 CP. So um, that'll, that kind of tells you where they're going. If, it, if it's a... I think it's, I think it's interesting, too, that it's a 1 CP if you're looking at a more horde-like uh, unit that's more likely to have models die easily. So, uh, so that's kind of cool. Um, all right. Uh, moving on to the next one. Kraken. Mike, you want to give them the Hive Fleet adaptations? Yeah, cool. So Kraken, we've always known Kraken as the fast Hive Fleet, right, from previous books. This one, so when they fight, uh, if they made a charge move, then they get an extra AP on their attacks. This is pretty good. That is pretty, pretty good. good. Thinking Armor of Contempt just arrived. Yes. Extra AP. Very nice. And then their adaptive one. So uh, if they advance, with some exceptions, because uh, there are some strats that affect advances, and you don't roll the advance roll, you just add D3 plus 3 to their move characteristic. So it's a more consistent advance roll for them. Yeah. The, so it says, it says if you're not affected by opportunistic, opportunistic advance or bounding advance, which are two strats, like Michael said, um, don't make an advance roll. Instead, D3 plus three inches. So yeah, you're going to advance a minimum of four, which is nice instead of worrying that you're going to roll that one or two. And then, uh, which is also going to be great for things coming up out of deep strike. So the D3 plus three, fantastic. Uh, but this is the thing that you can swap out. The Kraken High Fleet gets access to feed and hunt, which is quite nice. Uh, a great few options in there, but we can already see that they don't have access to lurk. So they don't have everything, feed and hunt. 
Um, and I'm, I just, every time we do this, I want to go and go, well, what's in those lists, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's jumping around and we're trying to keep this, uh, organized today. So, uh, but the warlord trait, um, it's uh, so one of those ones that I'm never, it, it, it just, it briefs well, as we said in the army, but it doesn't, it's not something you really want to, I think, waste a warlord trait on. Uh, it says each time your opponent, your opponent uses a stratagem. If this warlord is on the battlefield, roll a D six. On a five plus, you gain one command point. So, what do you think about the the reliability of a five plus on a to get a command point back? I think um, I think it's okay when it's your own command points. Let's say you've got an army and you start with nine or ten CP. You know that you've got a good chance of getting some of those back. But if you're basing it on your opponent, like this one, a five up for every time your opponent spends a command point, uh, sorry, uses a stratagem, it's not even when they spend a command point. So your opponent could spend two CP, but you only roll one dice because it's a five up for each stratagem they use. Now, there are plenty of stratagems. The best ones are probably two CP, right? So you're not actually rolling this dice very often and basing it on your opponent's pretty unreliable as well. Yeah, this is this is one of those things where if you, if you, if, if, they really want this mechanic to work. It should be a four plus or a, for something like this, like you said, it's because it's a stratagem, not for each CP. It's not like somebody does a three CP strat and you get to roll three dice. It's you're rolling one dice. That's something I, I feel like it should have been a three plus to get a command point back. But you know, so this world trade isn't great, but of course there's all the, uh, the other world traits that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, the psychic power um, is not bad. Synaptic lure. Um, select one enemy unit within synaptic link range of this psyker or one enemy unit within 18 inches of this psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. Uh, each time a friendly Kraken unit declares a charge, if that enemy unit is one of the targets of that charge, you can re-roll the charge roll. It's okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. It's that's not, okay. not anything you want to write home about. No. Uh, what, what about the relic? What do you think? So, cool name, chameleonic mutation. So this is um, minus one to the attack's hit roll if an attack is allocated to the bearer and the hit roll can't be re-rolled. Not bad. That's, I mean, Not that's bad. pretty resilient. That's pretty resilient. You're minus one to hit and you can't re-roll the hit. Um, yeah. But sometimes if you're facing something that hits you on twos, it's now hitting you on threes. Granted, there's no re-rolls, but they still hit on threes. It's nice. It's certainly nice to have, um, but it's not. it doesn't scream at me. Yeah, nothing, nothing really to write home about. It does say attack, so it's not just shooting or just melee. It's any attack. But mm. I agree with you. It's, it's not anything to write home about unless you are really in love with the, um, the, the adaptation, the, the high fleet adaptation. I, I don't. I think Kraken's going to be kind of a pass for most people. Um, the stratagem, opportunistic advance. It's one of the ones that was referenced to the adaptive part of the, the high fleet trait. It's one CP strat. Use this stratagem in your movement phase. When a Kraken unit from your army is selected to move until the end of the turn, each time that unit advances, uh, they auto advance um, eight inches instead of having to roll for it. Um, uh, but of course, you can't uh, use that and the bounding advance strategy. You can't stack them up. Um, and models in that unit don't suffer the penalty to hit rolls incurred for firing assault weapons in the same turn that their unit has advanced. So it, the, the stratagem makes them white scars for a turn, basically. Yeah, it's. I mean, eight is. It's nice to just have a flat eight on your advance. You don't oh, have to roll anything, um, and there are ways to advance and charge with Tyranid. So I can see that being used. If you take and Kraken, then I could certainly see that being used. Yeah, um, but 
uh, so far I'm I'm a much bigger fan of uh, of Behemoth than than Kraken. Uh, but let's look at Leviathan. Um, I I Leviathan always has kind of a, a a soft place in my heart because I I when I first started playing 40k I was reading White Dwarf magazine and they were doing the um, the the Armageddon invasion uh, uh, battle reports and all that. And so and I think that was Leviathan that was doing the those invasions. So that always um, you know touches that part of my my brain and my heart. Uh, the High Fleet adaptation here is Synaptic Control. Each time an attack is made against the Synapse unit with this adaptation, an unmodified wound roll of 1 to 3 always fails, irrespective of any abilities that the weapon or the attacker may have. So, all right, so so permanent transhuman for Synapse units. Um, each attack, uh, and each time an attack is made against a unit with this adaptation, excluding Synapse units, if that unit is within Synapse link range of any friendly Leviathan Synapse units, an unmodified wound roll of 1 to 2 always fails irrespective of any abilities that the weapon or the attacker may have. So we've got regular transhuman for synapse units and anything else within synapse range that's not a synapse keyword gets baby transhuman. And that's just the the, the main adaptation. Uh, that doesn't even incorporate the adaptive part of it, which is the adaptive part says each time a unit with this adaptation is selected to shoot or fight, you can reroll one hit roll when resolving that unit's attack. So... Um, looking at MSU units or an MSU style of play with to, to make the most of that. I think that's, that's pretty good. I like the, I like the uh, survivability portion of that. Um, I don't know the, the adaptive is okay. I'm not as big a fan of those. Each unit gets one hit roll, reroll per turn. Eh, that hasn't, that hasn't been a, I haven't been a huge fan of that so far. I know a lot of people are the hyper adaptation allows you to swap out that, that dice, uh, that hit roll, reroll, um, portion for a feed biomorphology or a hunt biomorphology so um if i was going to play I, I i definitely like the leviathan for survivability um but you, I, I would probably be looking to swap out that feed or, or swap out something with feed or hunt what do you think yeah it's very interesting the um the can't be wounded on one to three on synapse now obviously there are a fair few high toughness synapse units like the hive tyrants or you know a maliceptor but warriors are a synapse unit, so having having a sort of transhuman on them is fantastic, and having it on things like zoanthropes as well, also fantastic. And then of course, if you are running, you know, a lot of hormigants and, and the like, them not being wounded on twos, just a little bit of added extra survivability. The adaptive, I could take it and leave it. Um, it's nice on your characters that can't get sort of access to rerolls easily, um, but otherwise, you're probably better off looking at the. Um, biomorphologies table yeah yeah uh all right you want to do the warlord trait yep perfectly adapted like me um so once per battle round you can reroll one of the following rolls made for this warlord hit roll wound roll damage roll advance roll charge roll psychic test saving throw it's interesting it's quite interesting um being able to reroll a saving throw for free quite nice a psychic test as well for free very nice and then of course if you do need to make sure you get another wound through something getting that reroll is also nice it's okay as warlord traits go not bad at all yeah it's too bad it's not once per turn instead of once per battle round because if you go first and you get impatient or or you know you you decide to spend it oh i i really got to get this to get this get do more than two damage on my dice or on my d6 damage or whatever reroll it and then all of a sudden it goes to your, your opponent's side 
and you wish you had that saved up for a saving throw, you're going to be kicking yourself all game. Um, so it's it's kind of a bummer that it's only once per round. But I, I think if you're a cautious player, um, it's it's not bad. Um, psychic power, Hive Nexus. Uh, it's a blessing with a warp charge value of seven. If manifested, select one friendly Leviathan unit within synaptic link range of the Psyker and select one synaptic imperative ability of a friendly Leviathan synapse model that's also within synapse range. Until the start of your next turn, that unit benefit that unit benefits from that synapse model's synaptic imperative ability as if it was active for your army. Uh, and as if and as if they were within six inches of one another. So um we'll we'll get into the synaptic imperatives and the synapse link range i think a lot of people know it just from what's been on the internet but just to summarize it because we keep mentioning it with these psychic powers all of your synapse units now act like cell towers to each other is the the easiest way to understand it everybody uh, as long as two synapse units are within range of each other they are bouncing their psychic powers and their synapse abilities through each other and you can just if you if you are very careful and this is going to come down to talk about skill of the pilot this is going to come down to some serious planning and, and careful movement uh, of where you're going to move your synapse units in your movement phase. As long as you are careful and you don't launch anything too far away, you will have a perfect chain of everything can chain all of your abilities through each other in your synapse stuff. So it's it's very cool. It's a very cool ability. It's a very in-character ability for this army with the whole hive mind concept. But you got to be careful in your moving phase because, or and your charge phase. If you go charging something, you get excited and you charge that hive tyrant forward and out of hive, out of synapse range, you're going to break the chain and you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Then you're going to need to start taking a lot of synapse, I think, uh, across the list. You're going to make sure you've got the right ratio of synapse units to non synapse. This power, though, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think, yeah, absolutely. Because the synaptic imperatives are going to be kind of like the, we'll get into that too in a little bit. It's going to be your martial kata. It's going to be your your uh, command protocol ability that you're going to activate once per per turn or once per round, um, and you only get to activate each one once. The fact that you can this allows you to go back and reactivate one that hasn't been activated yet, or one that one that already got activated a second time just for that one unit. It's going to create a lot of flexibility, a lot of fluidity in your play style. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, and then uh, you want to do the the relic? Yep, so uh, this is the Preceptic Node. So in the reinforcement step of your opponent's movement phase, each time an enemy unit is set up as reinforcements within 18 inches of the bearer, you can select one friendly Leviathan core or character unit within six. If you do, that friendly unit can shoot as if it were your shooting phase, but can only target the enemy reinforcements unit. Um, a unit cannot be selected to fire more than once per phase as a result of this relic. It's like an Auspex scan, like the Space Marines have. Yeah. But 18 inches. Yeah, which is nice. That's really nice. You, you, that gives you a much larger threat range of, you don't want to deep strike, deep strike anywhere within 18 inches of me. That covers a good size of the board. Yeah. So, Tyranid characters have the potential to be packing some real heat uh, with their weaponry. So, unlike where you might have this relic on, like a Space Marine captain, he's not going to do much with his shooting. In our space, right. Jan. But a oh hive no, tyrant? a plasma pistol shot! Look out! <laughs> yeah. A hive tyrant with a heavy venom cannon. Hmm. Yeah, that's gonna put some hurt on your on your uh, whatever deep striking unit, even if it's Terminators coming down. Yeah. 
So, uh, all right. And then lastly, the, the stratagem for Leviathan, uh, combined assault, one CP. Use the strat in your fight phase. Select one enemy unit within engagement range of two or more Leviathan units. Um, until the end of the phase, each time a Leviathan model makes a melee attack against that enemy unit, improve the AP by one. So if you're going to gang up on two on, you're going to go two on one against something, um, uh, an enemy unit, uh, you know, especially if it's space range. And again, here we go. Armor of contempt. We're going to, we're going to counter armor of contempt right here. Gang up on something. And, uh, they won't know what what hit them. Yeah, I like this a lot. You could just have one character in with a unit of, say, warriors or ormigants, and then suddenly everybody gets an extra AP. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, all right, let's see now. Uh, High Fleet Gorgon, the poison, the poison High Fleet. Uh, all right, you want to do the uh, the High Fleet adaptation? Yep. So adaptive toxins. Lots of poison here. Each time an attack is made by a model with this adaptation against a unit. Excluding vehicles in Titanic, an unmodified wound roll of four plus is always successful. And then their adaptive one: each time a unit with this adaptation is selected to shoot or fight, you can reroll one wound roll. These guys get access to the feed and lurk biomorphologies. Okay. What's your thoughts on that, Dave? Uh, it's too bad that you can't use it against vehicles in Titanic. Um, I mean, I know it's supposed to be poison, but also, I mean, we we certainly know that. The Tyranids have access to acid too, so it's also kind of too bad you can't use it against vehicles and Titanic because you would want to. I understand maybe not wanting to overwhelm a whole bunch of four plus wounds on a knight or something, but being able to do it on a dreadnought would be nice, or a tank, or a, you know, a wraith lord or something that something big. Um, but that said, again, this seems like this would seems like something that you would be good with a whole lot of high volume attack stuff um, that's lower strength. Ormagons again popped to mind, maybe, um, and it says. Um, it just says each time an attack, so it could be shooting or melee. So you could also benefit if you're doing, um, gargoyles or, uh, termagants, anything that's going to put out a high volume of fire that may not, that may be low strength. Not so worried about the low strength if you're just always winning on four pluses. So I kind of dig that this, this seems to lean into an, into a more horde style of play, which I like the idea of. So, yeah, that's very cool. I love that it, it works on shooting as well. Yeah. The fact that it's not limited to, to one or the other, you can use it as both. I think it's great. So it, it, it allows for a more flexible playstyle, which everything so far seems like this codex is inclined, in, inclined to have players have a, a very flexible playstyle. Tyranid players are able to, to play and not be, paint themselves into a corner in their list design. Uh, so that's good. Uh, the Warlord trait, Lethal Miasma. At the start of the fight phase, roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within three inches of this Warlord. On a two to five, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. On a six, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Mm. Eh. Thoughts? You're probably not taking it, are you? Yeah, no. Uh-uh. No. It, it's, it, it's, it's cute. It's nice. I guarantee you there's better stuff in the uh, yeah. trait list. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, you want to do the psychic power? Yeah, so this is poisonous influence. Uh, has a warp charge of seven. It's a blessing. You select one Gorgon unit within synaptic link range of the Psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. Each time that a model in that unit makes a melee attack, um, a unmodified wound roll of six inflicts a mortal wound in addition to any normal damage to a maximum of six. Not bad. No, not bad. no, not bad at all. If we're thinking, because we're already thinking hordes probably with this because of the 
the uh, yeah, ad adaptation. It, being able to do six mortal wounds on top, considering the amount of attacks Hormigants get and the like, that's not bad at all. No, it's not bad at all. Not bad at all. Uh, all right. And then the, the relic, um, add one, the hyper, hypermorphic biology. Add one of the toughness characteristic of the bearer. If the bearer's characteristics can change as they suffer damage, they are considered to have double the number of wounds remaining for the purposes of determining what those characteristics are. So uh, anything that's going to bracket... Do Hive Tyrants bracket? I haven't looked at the data sheets much. Yeah, so Hive Tyrants will bracket. You've got Turvigons, which is a character, um, and the Trigon Prime as well. Uh, the toughness is nice. You can get to toughness 9 on a Hive Tyrant, um, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I don't think... I think there's probably better relics in here because you're kind of accepting that they're going to get wounded to the point where they'll need to have the double. It's nice to have something that works when they're at full health rather than something that only works when they're damaged. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, uh, and also you're, you're generally going to be considering at least, especially with your hive tyrants, you're going to be probably having them guarded by some hive guard or some tyrant guard rather. So between that and, you know, uh, lookouts and all that, they're probably, they shouldn't be getting, put at risk of too much injury too often. So probably not a relic you want to take. Uh, the stratagem, again, we're going back to, to uh, poison here. One CP, use this stratagem in the fight phase when a Gorgon, Gorgon uh, Toxin Sacks unit from your army is selected to fight. Till the end of the phase, each time a Toxin Sacks model in that unit makes a melee attack, an unmodified hit roll of 5+, plus automatically wounds the target. So, um, of course, you're going to go, well, why would I want that? Because my army already gets unmodified wound rolls of four plus. Ah, but that's because the high fleet adaptation says excluding vehicle or Titanic units. This strat does not have that limitation. Yeah, this is, this has the potential to be pretty heavily abused. Um, I guess the good thing is that it is only in melee because we previously saw abilities like this with shooting with um, the Adeptus Mechanicus way back when uh, nobody liked them. Uh, being able to do this to any target in the game, you've got Hormigants, maybe a, a big unit of 20. They've got three attacks each. Um, there are ways to get into four each. Uh, a five up that automatically wounds. You're bringing down knights all over the place. Yes, absolutely. So it's, it is definitely something that is going to be... Yeah, I can see where it would be. It could potentially be abused a lot. Fortunately, because it's a strat, you can only use it once per phase. So you're not going to abuse it. There's, there's already an inbuilt protection against too much abuse. Um, all right. And then I believe it's pronounced Jormungandr as it's named after the, the Norse uh, world serpent. Um, high fleet adaptation tunnel networks, which I, I, I love the thought of this. I was always a big fan of the Molochs in the past. Um, as one of the few mo few models I kept for when I got rid of most of my Tyranids, I kept the two Molochs that I have because I like the way I painted them. Uh, each time a ranged attack targets a monster unit with this adaptation, if the attacker is more than 18 inches away, then the target is treated as having the benefits of dense cover against that attack. Each time a ranged attack targets a unit excluding monster units with this adaptation, if the attacker is more than 12 inches away, then they get dense cover. So um you're basically turning your army into raven guard okay 
And then the adaptive trait is each time a unit with this adaptation is targeted by a weapon with the blast rule, have the number of models in that unit rounding up when determining how many attacks are made with that weapon. Meh. Has blast ever really done that much? I mean, except for I understand occasionally when you were going against a lot of poxwalkers in a Terminus S list, has blast ever done that much for anybody? Well, not really. I guess it stopped vehicles shooting to combat they were tied up in. So in, in some yeah. cases, blast has been an annoyance more than a, more than a benefit. Uh, I think the dense is nice, but you're running an army that is predominantly going to want to be within 12 inches of your opponent. So really, I don't see the the draw to this. I guess if you could try and make a shooting-focused nid list, this might be the way to go. Uh, just to get that benefit of minus one to hit. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and, and we can sort of uh, spoiler alert everybody. Um, hive guard are not what they used to be in this book. So you're not going to be sitting back with 18 hive guard in cover and just trying to bomb on people, even without the fact that they changed the indirect rule. So, yeah, I agree with you. The The dense cover is very meh, especially if you you should be planning to try to at some point get up in everybody's in your opponent's face with with tyranids to really make the most of this book so having dense cover if you're more than 18 inches away eh. and if you're going to be deep striking you you want to deep strike at nine inches away so your deep strike units aren't going to benefit from this at any point so yeah this is overall this is a very much a meh uh the adaptive gets replaced with hunt or lurk biomorphologies so uh, and again, remember, this is this is my opinion and Mike's opinion. We have our certain play styles. You may be a huge Tyranid fan that can come up with and go through this codex and say, hey, I can do a shooting list. I can use a lot of living artillery and hive guard and other and you know, venom cannon armed Tyranid warriors, and I can make a shooting list and I can make the most of that. If that works for you, by all means, do it. And then contact us on Instagram and send us your win-loss record and your list and say, I did it. And we will call you out and say you are a legend and a hero. So <laughs> by all means, let us know. So um, I have my play style. Mike has his. Don't, don't, you know, we are not the end all be all um, of, of uh, opinions on this. So, uh, right. all right, you want to give him the, you want to give him the warlord trait? Warlord trait is insidious threat. In your command phase, select one friendly Jormungandr um, unit within synaptic link range until the start of your next command phase. Each time that unit makes an attack, the target does not receive the benefits of cover. Well, it's nice, and I do actually think that Ignore's cover has a place in the game now, with Armor of Contempt stacking with cover. However, I don't think there are enough Tyranid units that shoot enough for Ignore's cover to really matter. Hiveguard already ignore cover with some of their guns. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, it's, it's enough. Yeah, and this is a warlord trade. It's not like it's something you're going to put onto a five or six man Tyranid warrior blob. You know, it's it's just something you're going to put on one model that, you know. Well, it's it's a command phase ability, so you could put it on to. Oh, oh, oh you're correct. You're correct. I was uh, a I, I skipped over that part. I was thinking it was just a warlord. So it's just there's not enough shooting coming from that unit to really make make it effective. Um, yeah. There's there's traits like this that do get rid of cover, but it's like they pick an enemy unit. And then your whole army ignores cover against that unit. And I think they're just so much better than just giving ignores cover to one of your units. Yeah, that's fair. 
the psychic power lurking maws. It's a malediction with a warp charge value of seven. If manifested, select one enemy unit within synaptic link range uh, of this psyker or one enemy unit within 18 inches of this psyker. Until the start of your next psychic phase, each time a friendly Jormungandr model makes a melee attack against that enemy unit, improve the AP of that attack by one. Pick one unit. Everybody gets negative one AP against it. Works for me. It's cool, but already we're kind of seeing a clash with their main adaptation, right? So this, well, yes. this is improving their melee ability, but their adaptation is they get dense over 12. So it's a bit a bit contradictory, um, but the psychic power is fantastic. You know, increasing AP is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and you're absolutely correct. It's a, on its own, the, the Lurking Maw's ability, and maybe, you know, we're looking at it wrong. Maybe the idea is you're only supposed to use the high fleet adaptation for their first turn or two as you're moving into position enjoy the minus one to be hit and then you're supposed to you know set two in melee you know it's just the you would prefer a high fleet adaptation you want a, a, cha- a, a an army-wide ability that's gonna benefit everybody all five turns not just one or two yeah um but the additional ap additional ap is always nice but yeah i agree with you it does not there is no synergy between that psychic power and the high fleet adaptations um the relic uh, infrasonic roar also is not does not stack well with uh, or synergize with the rest of the high fleet at the end of your movement phase, select one enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer and roll three D six. If the result is equal to or higher than that enemy unit's leadership characteristic until the start of your next movement phase, that unit cannot perform actions. Cool. Probably not taking that. Probably not taking that. Uh, the, the, the thing is like stopping a unit performing an action that's within 12. I'm sure there's an action they could do elsewhere. Sometimes you play a game and nobody in the game even does an action. So, and then of course you got the 3d6 roll against leadership. Uh, average yeah. is 10 on 3d6, but you could just as easily roll way less than 10. So, not a fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, 2 out of 10 would not recommend. Um, yeah. I mean, really, if you're, if you're a Tyranid unit, at the end of your movement phase, if you're within... And an enemy unit, most of the enemy, most of the actions are going to be completed. People are going to be planning to complete their actions in their turn. They don't want to leave their actions holding through the end of the next turn. And if somebody is still doing an action and they're within 12 inches, you're going to try to charge them and eat them. So stopping to shut off their action, probably a better relic for you to, you know, for Definitely. a more, or a more um, consistently reliable purpose. Uh, all right. Lastly, your Mungander uh, requisition stratagem. 1 CP, buried uh, buried in wait. Use this stratagem before the battle, determine the declared reserves and transports step. Select one Jormungandr unit from your army, excluding Titanic units. Um, put them into Deep Strike, basically. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. You can use this stratagem uh, once, uh, unless you're playing a Strike Force battle, which is twice, which, of course, that's what we always do in, um, in competitive play, and then an Onslaught battle um, three times. I, I gotta say, I love the teleportarium strat um, for Death Watch. I love being able to deep strike in some some dreadnoughts or some other stuff that you can't normally deep strike in. So I think that in and of itself, if that was just an army-wide strat that any high fleet could take, 10 out of 10, absolutely. Um, but taken in conjunction with the rest of this high fleet, I'm very disappointed. 
Yeah, it, it is a bit disappointing. Um, and honestly, there are some stratagems that allow you to go off the board and come back on uh, later in the game. So it would have been nice to see this stratagem be more like that, where you know you could do you could come on from deep strike, but you could have like a second part of the stratagem say, oh, if it's you know you can come off the board and come back on later on with one of these monsters. That would have yeah. been super cool. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good unit to to do this with, maybe warriors with lots of shooting. That could be quite cool. But again, as you said, the synergies with the rest of that that high fleet, um, not great. Yeah. A Harrispex. I want to see this done with a Harrispex. I just love that big tongue. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one. Kronos. Okay. Give us the high fleet adaptation. Bio Barrage. Kronos has always been known as the shooty nids. Uh, and, well, they're, they're shootier. So add four to the range of uh, their range weapons. Okay. Nice. Yep. And then their adaptive one is if each time they make a range attack that targets a unit within half range, improve the AP of one. I don't know about you, Dave, but I would have preferred to see these the other way around. I'd have preferred the extra AP to be their normal one and then swapping out the extra four inches of range. Um, I actually, as a Borkan player, I am actually a big fan of the additional four inch of range that I get on a lot of my guns. Um, being able to move the uh, the strength six profile on my Tau Breachers from eight inches to 12 is very nice. So um, I would say that depending, this is that if you're going to play Kronos, you are going to, that four inches can be huge, but don't take it there. Pervert's out there. Um, the extra four inches can be a big deal. It can be very beneficial, but you got to keep it in mind as you're building your list. It is something you're all going to look at. All right, if I'm doing rapid fire weapons, what's, because this is to the max range of your rapid fire weapons. So then it's going to give you, if it's, it's going to give you another two inches on your rapid fire range. So where, where, what benefits is this going to do for all of your shooting weapons? So I think that if you're playing a certain style of list, i.e. you're playing a very standoff and shoot list, I think that extra four inches can be a big deal. It can give you, it's going to give you more range for an alpha or a beta strike. I think it's, I, I, I know that it doesn't suit your play style, um, but I think it is entirely valid if you're going to do a very almost exclusively shooting Tyranid list. Yeah, I think, you know, if you are focused on that range side of thing, the, the f- extra four inches is nice. Um, I just feel that nids in general, quite fast. And that their weapons are actually quite long-ranged already. Um, so I just don't know whether their shooting is good enough to, to warrant having that four inches. I think their range is already good. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I do really like the extra AP, though. Uh, yeah. And, of course, the extra AP will stack with that four inches. So you're essentially getting more range, and then your half range is longer, and then your extra AP kicks in a bit earlier, which is yeah. quite nice. Yeah, so I, I think it. I think it has some play if you're gonna. If you're gonna, you know, if you're running a very Tau Tyranid list, <laughs> um, and then of course the hyper adaptations uh, that you might swap out that extra AP with are the feed and lurk biomorphologies. So, uh, and then the warlord trait is soul hunger. It's an aura. It's the first aura we've seen. Uh, while an enemy psyker unit is within 18 inches of this warlord. 
Each time a psychic test is taken for that unit, it suffers perils of the warp on any dice roll that includes a double instead of only a double one or double six. So you're turning your warlord into a, um, what's the anti-psyker assassin? Uh, kind of like a Calexus, not quite Calexus, the same. Um, yeah, sort of a Calexus uh, light. I would happily leave this at home. Yeah. Um, just try and deny the power, guys. Don't don't bother putzing around trying to make people perils. Yeah. Unless unless you're in a local meta that is very Thousand Suns and or Grey Knights heavy, then maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, otherwise, look at the the rest of your Warlord traits available and, you know, consider other options. Uh, you want to do the Psychic Power? Yeah, so this is Symbio Storm. It's a blessing. Warp Charge 7. If manifested, select one Kronos unit within Synaptic Link Range of the Psyker. Until the ch- start of your next psychic phase, each time a model in that unit makes a ranged attack, add one to their strength characteristic of that attack. That's cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. You'd have to look at what, what weapons you're going to benefit from it. If we think about maybe uh, flesh borers on lots of termagants, perhaps, that pushes yeah. them to strength six. That's pretty good. Or a Death Spitters on a Warrior's unit pushes them to strength 7. AP 2, yeah. that's not bad at all. Yeah, I could even see a play where you bring in a bunch of Gargoyles down out of Deep Strike and um, through your Synaptic, because that they come down in, in um, the movement phase, and then in your Psychic phase, you use your chain of Synaptic Link uh, Cell Tower range to slap this on a unit of Gargoyles that just came down out of Deep Strike and let them uh, do a little bit of extra in the shooting phase. So I, I think this has play. I think it, it definitely, this is some nice synergy with the rest of this high fleet. Uh, yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, the, the relic uh, in this one is Null Node. In your command phase, select one enemy unit within synaptic link range of the bearer until the start of your next command phase. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, the hit roll cannot be re-rolled and the wound roll cannot be re-rolled. And psychic tests taken for that unit cannot be rerolled. I mean, I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Again, this—if you have your synaptic link chain, if your if your synaptic link game is on point, that's awesome. You are just going to take some character uh, and just shut them down. Yeah, you you got one big. I don't know, two hundred three hundred point unit. I'm going to make it so that they can't re-roll anything at all. Yep. Oh, you got a Psyker that's going to cast a bunch of powers. No re-rolls for you. Yeah. Yep, I it's like cool. it. It's cool. But as you say, you're going to have to position well for this. Yeah. You're... Guys, Tyranids are going to be great, but if, you are, you, if you're going to play at the highest levels of the game, I highly recommend, besides just joining the Academy, I highly recommend setting up your table at home and just going through movement drills, just do a movement phase, do a deployment and a movement phase, a deployment and a movement phase. Yep. You've, you've, if you want to be operating at the highest levels of Tyranid play, your movement game has got to be on point guys, or your, your, your enemy is going to start picking holes. They're going to go, Oh, he left this one unit out of range, or this guy's almost out of range. He's the weak link. They'll just shoot, charge psychic, annihilate that one unit, break your chain and you've got a problem. So, um, 
All right, you want to do the uh, the strat? Yeah, the deepest shadow. It's a great name. Spooky. Use a stratagem in your opponent's psychic phase when an enemy unit fails a psychic test. Select one Chronos Psycho unit from your army within 18. That enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds, and until the end of the phase, that Chronos Psycho unit gains the following ability. Deepest Shadow is an aura ability. While an enemy Psycho unit is within 18, each time a psychic test taken for that unit is failed, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. So, in essence, um, an enemy librarian fails a power, you pop this strat, they take D3 mortal wounds, and then any other powers that any other psychers within 18 take that fail, that unit will suffer D3 mortal wounds. I think this is quite a powerful anti-psychic ability. Yeah, yeah. It's very situational, obviously. You're not going to use it in every game, but I would go and buy the um, uh, the, the box card, you know, the, the cards that come with, with, the, with all the stuff, and I would find, if you're going to play Chronos, pull out this data card out of the set of cards um and draw a big middle finger on it yeah and then when you play against grain ants and thousand suns just be ready to show them that card with a big middle finger on their psychic phase because yeah this is situationally going to be awesome you're gonna someone's gonna come out oh i'm gonna smite the bejesus out of you and i will do the right back to you in your own phase here you go and all for the bargain basement price of one cp love it yes it stacks with Shadow of the Warp as well. So if you're within oh, yeah. 18, you're minus one already to cast. So suddenly you're minus one to cast, and now every time you fail a power, you're going to take D3 mortal wounds. Oh, it's, yeah. it's hilarious. That is hilarious. And it's also going to have a long-term play too of, is your opponent really going to want to do psychic interrogation or, or um, uh, psychic ritual in the middle of the table? Are they? I mean... Every, oh, it's it's a simple power. You pass it on a three, you pass it on a four. Yeah, but I love this. I think it's great. All right. Um, last but definitely not least, we got Hydra. These uh, are actually my favorite. Oh, really? Oh, then by all means, man, do the do yeah. let's 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 uh, lead us into the high fleet adaptation. This one is swarming instincts. Each time a model with this adaptation makes a melee attack that targets a unit containing fewer models than its own, add one to that attack's hit roll. For the purposes of this adaptation, vehicle and monster models each count as five. Uh, to put that in perspective, um, if I had a, I don't know, a Carnifex attacking a Rhino, the Carnifex counts as five models for this adaptation, but the Rhino also counts as five models. So I wouldn't get a bonus there. Um, right. It's not just the NID models that count as five. It's, it's whenever you're doing this ability. The adaptive is add one to the move characteristic of the models of this adaptation. And each time they make a consolidation move, they can move an additional three inches. That's fantastic. It's very, it's, it's different. I think it's a different kind of power, uh, trait-wise. It's not, it doesn't immediately seem amazing. But when you have like a 15 Hormigants charge something, getting plus one to hit for free. And then on top of that, my favorite thing is actually that plus one move. Yeah, getting if you're going to play melee, you want to, and just having that extra move and getting across the board. And like you said, there's there's options for advance and charge in the book too. Yeah, um, and then you, you actually consolidate as well, and you'll see that this does um, stack with other things as well, which is why it says to a maximum of nine inches. A nine inch consolidation move. Hey, uh, yeah. 
yeah, the high, hyper adaptation is feed and hunt biomorphologies. Got it. All right. No, I think yeah, I think there's if you if you are melee oriented and if, especially if you are um, horde inclined, this is absolutely the um, the high fleet to take. Uh, the warlord trait endless regeneration. At the start of the command phase, this warlord can regenerate itself. If it does so, it regains up to D3 lost wounds. This warlord can only regenerate itself once per turn. Um, so this is the start of the command phase. I was just thinking that. So you can do this at either command phase in regard in the battle round, regardless of who goes first. So if you go first and you don't you're not wounded, but then you take a something, some kind of damage in your turn. You can do it in your opponent's turn. Yeah, so you could heal 2d3 per battle round. Yeah, because it only says you can only regenerate yourself once per turn. Not once per battle round. That's better than I thought it was when I initially read it. Yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. You could... Whew, yeah, you can make a you can make a, a Hive Tyrant really live... He just turned a Hive Tyrant into Wolverine right there, just healing himself constantly. Holy moly. All right. Uh, psychic power. Go for it. Psychic Shriek. Witchfire. Uh, warp charge of six. If manifested, selects an enemy unit within Psychic Link range or 18. Roll a d6 for each friendly Hydra infantry and Hydra beast model within three. And 3d6 for each friendly Hydra monster within three of that enemy unit. For each five plus... The enemy unit suffers one more wound to a maximum of six. Okay, imagine your 15 Hormigants or your 20 Hormigants, and you've just moved them around an enemy unit. You're probably rolling about 10d6 here. Maybe more, right? Because it's within three inches. Yeah. I think this is a nice cheeky way of getting a bunch of mortal wounds in. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I mean, and, and granted, it, it caps out at six mortal wounds, but still, you know, you gotta. You have an ongoing combat, you know, or or. Uh, I mean, if, even if it doesn't even have to be that, but it just says when it, within eighteen inches. Uh, oh no, yeah, within three inches of that unit. So if you've got an ongoing combat and you used your adaptive ability of your your consolidation move, um, to uh, to to wrap and trap something, even if it's a big blob of terminators or something, um having yeah having the you know a big mob of of hormigons or something or termigants or whatever get to lay a bunch of mortal wounds on prior to the next fight phase that's good that's real that's good. cool i like it uh all right uh, bio artifact relic barb worm infestation which just sounds nauseating each time the bear makes a ranged attack you can re-roll the wound roll nice simple straightforward i like it yeah it's all right um I think it falls down once you see what the other relics are. Um, yeah. Because traditionally relics can replace guns. And obviously this buffs guns. But you'd rather have right. a better gun than be able to reroll wounds with the ones you already have. Right. And this list doesn't incline itself as much towards shooting. This is something no. that would have been much better off with Kronos. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right. And then this, the strat, uh, go for it. Critical mass. This is amazing. So one CP... Use this stratagem in the fight phase when a Hydra unit from your army is selected to fight. Until the end of that phase, each time a melee attack made by a model in that unit targets an enemy unit with fewer models than its own, reroll the wound roll. Again, leans into the into the board yep. style play that we're talking about, and 
yeah, rerolling the wound roll is great unless you're going against Valor's heart. Um, <laughs> permanently on my mind. Um, since I live with Valor's heart. Um, all right. So um, that is the end of the base um, high fleets. Um, we'll jump into the infinite biomorphologies is the next page. We won't go into that. That's all of the, uh, this is your custom high fleet uh, rules. Um, biomorphologies, like we, t- we'll, we'll just, I'm just going to fly through them real quick uh, because it's three separate columns of, of uh, five options each. Um, there's quite a bit here. Hunt um, is a lot of your movement based stuff. Um, augmented ferocity, add one to charge rolls. Adrenalized onslaught, um, make a consolidation move, add three inches to your consolidates. Um, ambush predators, units with this adaptation are eligible to perform heroic interventions as if they were characters. So, all very movement based uh, stuff and hunt. Lurk um, is a little bit more like you would suggest. It's things like naturalized camouflage. Um, each time a range attack is allocated to a model with adaptation. They get the benefits of cover from the terrain and they're receiving benefits of cover. They get an additional one to their armor saving throw. Um, unfeeling resilience models with that adaptation whose characteristics can change. Uh, count as double the number of wounds. So anything that's going to bracket counts as double their wounds. And then feed is going to be, um, has things like relentless hunger. Each time a unit with this adaptation fails a charge, it can make a normal move of up to three inches. Nice. Um, and units with this adaptation can ignore any or all modifiers that are move, advance, and charge rolls. So um, if you're taking feed, you want to ignore a lot of uh, difficult terrain on the board, or you want to ignore things like photon grenades, go crazy. Yep. Um, all right, so we're going to blast past uh, stratagems because there's all there's four pages of them, folks, and we don't have that much time. Just before we move on. For three hours. Yes. We didn't mention what I think is the best biomorphology. Uh, which is Territorial Instincts. That's in the Lurk Biomorphologies. Monsters have Obsec. Ah. And monsters with 10 or more wounds count as 5. I think that is, if you have access to this column, that's nearly an auto-take. Yeah, if you're going to, especially if, if, you're build, if you have access to that and you're building into it, it's going to make you sort of crush your stampede light without being obnoxious. Um, yeah. That's very, very strong. Very strong. Any others out there that in that list that jump out at you? I think that's the main one, honestly. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Adaptive physiologies. Um, I don't want to go too far into them, but let's see. Dermic symbiosis, enraged reserves, hardened biology, precognitive sensoria, predator instincts, synaptic enhancement, voracious ammunition and whip coil reflexes everything ranging from plus 25 points to plus 10 points yeah the low end basically these are your pointed upgrades um you can put them on monsters so long as they're not characters or titanic Uh, and they give you various upgrades i think the you know one of them is a four pin one uh there's a huge variety here for making your units more survivable um to making them more dangerous in combat there's one cool one for a six inch shuriken intervention um yeah interesting stuff yeah uh i like the yeah like you said the dermic symbiosis was one of the 25 point upgrades uh gives you a, a built-in four up invuln if you don't already have one um the uh i like hardened biology actually for 15 points each time an attack with a damage characteristic of one is allocated to this model add one to the armor save 
Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the other one, I the other one I kind of dig is Synaptic Enhancement. Oh, uh, it's the best this, one. It, I yeah. This one is again, if you're going to be playing this, you're going to lean into things. This model gains the Shadow and the Warp and Synapse abilities and the Synapse keyword. So that's that's kind of cool. And that one is going to cost you the low low uh, price of ten points. So wow. Um, for for ten points, th- throwing in an extra uh, synapse uh, creature, giving giving a an, a a character or another uh, large monster a um, giving them synapse, that's huge. Um, very very cool. Um, uh, all right, so warlord traits. You want to do the first one? We'll do. Alien cunning. The warlord has the objective secured ability. They count as five models when determining control and objective marker, and they can start to perform an action even if they advanced or fell back. Now, the last bit is by the by. Objective secured on your hive tyrant. Yes, please. Uh, A flying hive tyrant. Even more, yes, please. (laughs) Uh, Putting this on even like the Parasite of Mortrex. Just being able to zip around and be five obsec models. Uh, Very, very nice. Yeah, like it. Uh, next one we got is heightened senses. At the start of the fight phase, if this warlord is within engagement range of any enemy units, it can fight first that phase. Uh, and each time this warlord makes an attack, you can reroll the hit roll. Cool. So ranged and combat. Yes. Not yeah, bad. It, it's good. Um, it, it, so you're, you're rerolling. Um, you can reroll all your hits, um, and you get fight first. Not bad. Cool. Not bad. The next one is Synaptic Lynchpin. Uh, add three to the range of this Warlord's aura abilities and Synaptic Imperative abilities. Each time this Warlord uses an ability in your command phase that specifies a range, till the end of the phase, add three inches to the range of that ability. Um, in a lot of books, this kind of Warlord trait is actually really good. Because there's a lot of aura abilities in other books. In this one, I'm actually not a huge fan. So its synaptic imperative is, is within six of a synapse creature, so this would boost it to nine. That is nice, but it's only on your one warlord character. Um, when your unphase abilities are synaptic link range, and you can ping them around the board through other models, this second part of the warlord trait doesn't really affect that. I think it's already easy enough to ping your command phase abilities around without needing that second part. But it's nice nonetheless, and it's the one that the Swarm Lord comes with. Okay, so it's at first blush, it seems like probably a little redundant, not something you're going to need too much of. But um, it may be with practice and experience, you may find that it's a big deal. You know, I'm sure when the when the Space Marine Codex first came out, a lot of people went, "Oh, box the box of Spiritum, don't care," and then it turns out that it's can be quite useful. So. Uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a something you you lean into as you get a little more experience. Uh, next one, direct guidance in your command phase. Select one friendly high fleet core unit within synaptic link range of this warlord until the start of your next command phase. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, add one to that attack's hit roll. Nice, nice, nice. It's a good it's a good buff. It's a good buff. I like it. And. I do like the fact that it's plus one instead of rerolls because with the increasing ability of a lot of people to shut off rerolls, um, having, you know, this, this is almost better than having chapter master rerolls, you know, mm. pick a unit instead of giving them rerolls for the turn, 
four rerolls give well, us a plus as, one to hit. As we'll see at some point in the units, we do have access to command phase reroll abilities. So getting a plus one on top of some of these command phase abilities, that's nice. Stacking command phase abilities on, on one model, always good in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, all right, go for it. Synaptic tendrils. In your command phase, if this warlord has one of the following abilities, it can use that ability once one additional time that phase. Uh, there's a list here of named abilities from the data sheets uh, in the book. These are basically like uh, your command phase abilities. So the Hive Tyrant might have one, um, which gives reroll ones to a unit. It can now do it twice and give it to two units. This is quite cool. I like this a lot. Um, yeah, it's nice to spread your command phase abilities out. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of it. Uh, and lastly, uh, adaptive biology. It's a five up. Feel no pain. If your warlord would lose a wound on a five up, the wound's not lost. So I mean, toughness eight, two up save, four up in one. Five up, feel twelve no pain. wounds, five up, feel yep. no pain. It's yep. Beastly. Very. Probably going to be around for quite a bit. Uh, all right. Uh, let's do psychic powers. Hive mind discipline. Uh, first one is. Uh, and a lot of these, the names are, are of course, going to be familiar. Uh, Catalyst, everybody remembers it from the last multiple versions of the Codex. I think it's been around since Tyranids first showed up. Uh, it's a blessing with a warp charge value of six. If manifested, select one friendly high fleet unit within synaptic link range. Remember, it's not within range of the Psyker anymore. It's synaptic link range. So bouncing through your cell towers. Until the start of your next Psychic phase, each time a model in that unit would lose a wound, five up, feel no pain. And each time a Titanic model in that unit would lose a wound, uh, six up, feel no pain. Nice. It's okay. Cool. I mean, a five up, feel no pain is amazing. Yes. W wherever you can get it. Um, yeah. The six up, meh. But the five up is nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, next one is the horror. Uh, warp charge five, um, enemy unit within synaptic link range or 24 inches of the Psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. Subtract two from the leadership characteristic of models in that unit. Subtract one from the combat attrition test taken for that unit. Generally, leadership debuffs aren't amazing, but when you start looking at combat attrition debuffs as well, they can start becoming a real pain. This is a nice to have, I think, um, but it, it's not necessarily one I'd, I'd definitely pick. There are some combos you can do with this. Um, but yeah, minus one to attrition. You know, If an enemy unit's under half strength, Running away on threes now, not bad. Yeah, not bad. If you if you're if you've got a fifty percent chance to make their you know the rest of the squad run, now you're talking about something. If it's just one bumping up to a two, meh. Uh, I, you know I see the horror and all I remember is old school uh, terror tests. All right, that was that was a thing back then. Um, but uh, all right, Nero Parasite. This is a new one. Uh. Which fire with a value warp charge value of seven? If manifested, select one enemy unit within synaptic link range, uh, one or one enemy unit within eighteen inches of the psyker. Roll one d six for each model in that unit. Uh, for each model, for each roll that exceeds the model's toughness characteristic, the model suffers a mortal wound to a maximum of six mortal wounds. It's okay. Right. It's an extra smite. Yeah, nice against big units of things and low yeah. toughness. Yeah. Um I think with the increasing number of marines turning up it's probably not amazing. Right. Yeah, if you're going to be if you're running against, you know, a lot of MSU 3 and 5 man units of stuff, probably not something you're going to want to 
take too long. Uh, all right, give us Onslaught. Onslaught, again, age-old name. This one is basically advance and charge. There's a couple of other bits in there as well. So move and ignore the heavy penalty. Uh, advance and ignore the assault penalty. Um, or charge and advance. This is warp charge 6, synaptic link range of the Psyker. So this is going to be in every list, um, uh, unless you're Kronos. And yeah. uh, this is the one you're going to be saving if you're playing against them. This is the one you're going to save your uh, deny for. You're yeah. going to be holding on to this so you can, deny, because that's the one you're going to want to deny more than anything else. Um, and then uh, next one, Paroxysm, another age old name. Uh, malediction with a warp charge value of seven. If manifested, select one enemy unit within synaptic link range or 18 inches of the Psyker. That unit cannot fire Overwatch or set to defend, and each time a model on that unit makes a melee attack, subtract one from that attack's wound roll. Nice. Cool. Well, I cool. like it. Minusing one from a wound roll. Yeah. Pretty significant. Especially when you're going into uh, Hive Tyrants with Toughness 8 and, you know, Maliceptors and other things with Toughness 6, 7, 8. You know, if you're if you're like, oh, I'm I'm wounding on fives. No, you're wounding on sixes. That's it's a big deal. I like it. All right. Give a psychic scream. Warp charge five, witch fire, closest enemy unit within 18, suffers D3 mortal wounds. This hasn't changed much either. Um, so it's an extra smite, basically, but they don't yep. have to be visible. And then it's got this extra bit where if, it's, if the enemy unit was a psychic keyword and the result of the psychic test is higher than the leadership characteristic of that unit, then you randomly select one psychic power they know and until the end of the battle, they no longer know that psychic power. I think the second bit's going to be a pretty rare occurrence. Yeah. Um, but being able to have something that casts two powers, doing a smite and then this as well, nice. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I agree 100%. The, the second part, you, you might see it one in 30 games, one in 50 games, but having an extra smite, never a bad thing. Uh, all right, moving on to the relics. Um, the, the Imgarl or Yimgarl factor, uh, at the start of the fight phase, select one of the following until the end of the phase, add two to the bearer's strength, uh, until the end of the phase, add one to the bearer's attacks or until the end of the phase, add one to the bearer's toughness. Nice. It has that Imgarl gene stealer, um, uh, you know, uh, evolutionary, uh, flexibility. Um, yeah, it, it's like it. cool. I really wish it was command phase and it lasted the turn or the battle round. Yeah. Because it's just the start of the fight phase and it only lasts till the end of the fight phase. It's a bit of a shame. Yeah, well, because you, only because you can't, you're not going to benefit the toughness part. If you wanted to choose the toughness, you're not going to get it for your enemy's fight phase. But it says the end at the start of the fight phase. So at the start of, you know, if you have ongoing combat, you get to pick it again at yeah. the start of your opponent's fight phase so yeah that part's not bad yeah sadly doesn't work against shooting yeah you're not going to get that that toughness boost against shooting but uh all right all right give us the next one the reaper of obliterax model equipped with bone sword or monstrous bone sword only um and the monstrous bone sword uh, or the bone sword gains the following ability so it has its its current stat line it just gains this ability each time an attack is made with this weapon if that attack successfully wounds the target the target suffers one mortal wound in addition to any other damage. Wow. Very nice. 
Each time an attack made with this weapon is allocated to an enemy model, that model cannot use any rules to ignore the wounds it loses. That's a nice stack. I think this is going on, if you can get a character with a bone sword. Yeah, this is an auto-take. You're slamming this on there. This, um, is, this, is the, this is the closest I've seen in this so far to an absolute auto-take. Yeah. Um, More yeah. wounds on successful wound rolls. Like, your hive torrent strength 8, you're wounding on 2s. Right. Yeah. Amazing. And, and you're stacking mortal wounds on top of that with no limit. There's no 3 max, 6 max, no, no limit, mortal wounds, and you get no feel, no pain, no ignore mortal wounds, no shrug. Uh, you're just, it is, a, it is properly named the Reaper of Obliterax because <laughs> you are going to obliterate anything you hit with whatever's carrying that relic. That's awesome. Uh, all right, the next one, the Maw Claws of Thyrax. Um, makes me feel like I have to get my thyroid checked. Uh, add one to the bearer's attacks characteristic. Each time the bearer makes a melee attack, you can reroll the wound roll. And each time the bearer destroys an enemy unit as the result of a melee attack until the end of the battle, add one to the bearer's attacks characteristic. So you get to a maximum of plus three. So if if you really go on a straight up slaughtering spree, you could really build up uh, your the attacks of uh, on this model. Yeah, I like this one. I think it's very cool. Um, you're certainly looking at this potentially if you can't take the Reaper of Obliterax on a particular model. Um, yeah, reroll wounds is amazing. Extra attacks, bonus. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, anything with a bone sword, you're gonna put the Reaper on, and then something that doesn't have the Reaper or doesn't have a bone sword, but you also want to be um, just a, a smash character that's getting this. Uh, all right. Resonance Barb, go for it. Resonance Barb, uh, Psyker only, plus one to your psychic tests. They know one additional psychic power from the hive mind. Discipline, plus one to your psychic. Not bad. Um, if you've been following along, a lot of those powers we've mentioned are warp charge seven across the board, especially the hive fleet specific ones. Seven's, I would say, quite high for a, a psychic power these days. A five or a six, um, pretty normal. So being able to get that on your psychic powers and then in addition for any psychic actions that you want to do plus one to cast very nice relic yeah uh all right last one pathogenesis uh add eight inches to the range characteristic of ranged weapons the bearer is equipped with which is nice because it says all ranged weapons and each time the bearer shoots you can reroll one hit roll and you can reroll one wound roll when resolving those attacks nice Stick that on a uh, uh, a turvigan or something that's large and going to be standing back and shooting a, with a couple of different weapons, especially a, a Kronos one. Yes. Yep. Yes. Plus Twelve oh, yeah, yeah. inch range. Yes. Now I will hit you from the other side of the board, whether you like it or not. Um, but of course, relative to line of sight. Yeah. Um, so okay, not an auto take, not a Reaper of Obliterax, but let's be honest, the Reaper has now reset our standards in this book and uh yeah you know it has set a high bar for all other relics uh coming after so uh next one the scythes of tyrant go for it okay so this replaces two monstrous scything talons uh it does actually replace them so this is strength plus two minus four ap flat three damage quite nice this is pretty similar to what monstrous scything talons do already 
However, you make two additional attacks with this weapon. Nice. It's nice. Um, honestly, most of the things that have monstrous scything talons can probably take a bone sword, a monstrous bone sword, and a lash whip instead, and then we can get the reaper in. So, yeah. But if you're running more than one hive tyrant with combat weapons, maybe this is a, a way to do it. Right. Now, is there a way to slap a relic on a carnifect? Uh, unfortunately, not. Oh, wah, wah. all right. Well, I had a I had a brief moment of excitement. Uh, all right. Next is the Balethorn Cannon. Uh, this is for a model equipped with a Stranglethorn Cannon only. Uh, this replaces the Stranglethorn. Uh, it is a thirty-six inch range gun. Uh, heavy D three plus three shots. Strength ten. AP negative three. Flat three damage, and it has blast. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's okay. it's it's a pretty good gun relic. Yeah. Yeah, as gun relics go, not bad. It's it's uh, it's certainly not not a relic pistol. So, uh, all yeah. right, want to do the uh... shard gullet, the next gun relic. Okay, so this is a heavy venom cannon replacement, thirty six inch range, assault three. So heavy venom cannons are actually heavy in the rest of the book. Assault three, strength twelve, AP five, and damage five. Ouch. Okay, so a heavy venom cannon is normally strength 9, AP 3, damage 4. This pushes it up to 12, minus 5, damage 5. I like it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If, you, if, you're, if you're sticking a venom cannon on something, you might as well give them this. And uh, just because that strength 5, I mean, that, that profile is going to put a serious hurt on most vehicles yeah, and Titans. And especially because if you're sticking this on a hive tyrant, you're already hitting on a two plus anyway. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, your, your odds of putting a serious hurt on something large is great. And damage five is enough to take out also a lot of bikers and, uh, and other like, you know, larger, unit you know uh, multi-unit models you can take a couple units off yeah it's great into like damage reduction as well because damage five going down to damage four is still uh yeah yes uh still enough to take out um a death guard terminator i believe do you mind if i do the next one because it is probably my favorite relic absolutely you like this more than the reaper of obliterax all right i gotta hear this go for it it's the gestation sack which is disgusting Yep. So once per battle, the bearer can perform the following action. Bursting the sack. That sounds painful. At the start of your shooting phase, this model can start to perform this action. The action is completed at the end of that phase. When it's completed, set up a new high fleet ripper swarm unit on the battlefield within three inches of this model and not within engagement range of any enemy units. That ripper swarms unit contains D3 plus one models. And uh, doesn't cost you reinforcement points. Okay. I just think it's so thematic. Absolutely. Uh, and it has no, it some really, really cool things you can do on the table with it. Um, yeah, I, I love this relic. Yeah, it is. It, I, 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 I agree with you. It's just, just from a sheer cool factor. It's just, yeah, I, I can just, I just want to start hearing the, uh, the the motion detector from aliens when this goes off just <laughs> wah, 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 wah. 
Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, and also not a bad thing when you're popping out D three plus one multi wound models just to sit on an objective or, or, you know, harass, uh, you know, and you do this at the start of your shooting phase. So suddenly, and it says not within engagement range, you could potentially do this well within charge range of an enemy unit just yep. to send a bunch of ripper swarms in and tie them up too. So never mind the the fact that I'm having an all kinds of, you know, James Cameron aliens dreams right now reading this thing. The fact that it's got some serious strategy play to it is even better. That's great. Uh, all right. The dirge heart of Karis. Each time the bearer is selected to fight after resolving its attacks, select one enemy unit hit by an attack made by the bearer this phase. All right, so after you've done all of your attacks, until the end of the ter- next turn, that unit loses obsec, and you subtract one from the leadership characteristic of models in that unit. Subtracting one from the leadership is very meh, but taking away obsec is great. It is amazing. Imagine if, so there's a few scenarios here. Imagine if you'd taken the obsec warlord trait on this guy as well. So you suddenly, you turn off obsec on your enemy but you also have it, you could single-handedly take an objective. Um, what if you're a monster and you've taken that lurk biomorphology to be a monster counting as obsec and five models? Again, you could single-handedly take an objective with this relic. Yeah, yeah. And the good news is for custodies is that this relic actually won't hurt you at all anymore. <laughs> oh. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. So, uh, all right, the the passenger, go for it, which I'm already concerned. Go for it. Uh, adrenal glands model only. Add two to advanced rolls uh, for the bearer and add two to charge rolls for the bearer. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to stick the... It, it's too bad it doesn't work on something like, you know, a, a squad or something. It's, it's just going to be the, for that single model only. Yeah. But... I think it's overshadowed by the other relics, right? Oh yeah, there's there is there is definitely we've already seen four or five good relics that this is going to you're going to struggle finding space for this in a list. But I also can say that if you are playing into a certain list type, if you are not trying to just table your opponent and you're playing for a lot of and you want to lean just straight into movement shenanigans and board control there's still some play. It's still a valid relic depending on how you want to play. So I could see, I can see um, the King of all Tyranids, John Lennon putting this thing to, to, to work and just kind of slipping it under the radar. And everybody's like, Oh no, it's, it's okay. It's lame. It's use the Reaper. Use this. Wait, John's using this. I, I can see somebody at the top ends putting the, skipping over some of those others and putting something like this to work and making something that you wouldn't expect to move that far and that fast, move that far and that fast. So yeah, I won't completely rule it out, but I definitely agree that at first blush, it's really cool, but it's not going to make it into even the top five relics you're going to be debating about as you're making your list. Uh, all right, you want to do the last one? Yeah, so Seer Hive, uh, Toxin Sacks model only. Each time the bearer makes a melee attack against a unit, excluding monsters and vehicles, if a hit is scored, it automatically wounds. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you stick that on something with a lot of attacks that maybe can't take a bone sword for the Reaper. Um, 
and suddenly you don't need to worry about wounding at all. You got your full your full efficiency from the the number of attacks and the hit rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right, we have already gone a little long here. Um I wanted to get into the let's see if we get there's there's three secondaries uh chapter specific secondaries in this uh or rather uh codex specific secondaries in the chapter approval rules. We're going to fly through those and then we're going to wrap it up. So, um in the no mercy no respite category, um there is synaptic insight. Uh, if you select this objective, keep a tally of synaptic kill points. Reset your synaptic kill points tally to zero at the start of each battle round. Each time an enemy model is destroyed by a synapse model from your army, then bullet points. If that enemy model had a wounds characteristic of between three and five, add one to your, cal- uh, your uh, kill points tally. If that model had a wounds characteristic of between six and nine, add two to your synaptic kill points tally. If an enemy model had a wounds characteristic of 10 or more, add three to your synaptic kill points tally. Uh, and then score three victory points at the end of your battle round. If, you're, if your synaptic kill points tally for that battle round is four or more, you cannot score more than 12 victory points from this objective. That is a very, very detailed mashup mm. of no prisoners and bring it down. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, the only thing I'm not a fan of there is that you don't get anything for killing one one wound models. Right. So you're you're not going to be scoring anything against, um, you know, m- most models that you're going to kill. Most most one and two wound models. Yeah. Base Marines, Fire Warriors, you know, Eldari, Drakari. Uh, mm. You know, none of those. Most units models you're going to be facing. I mean, starting the kill the wound tally at three and up tells me all right if you're going against a tyranny a terminator heavy opponent or custodies or anything like that maybe you consider this i mean this yeah. is definitely a if i'm going into custodies this is an absolute option yeah because you're going to be looking at three wounded up models and dreadnoughts okay um but uh i'm also kind of bummed that it caps out at 12 but you know I, I think it's I think it has viability, but this is gonna be a very opponent specific. Yeah, I think you're gonna have to play play this secondary a few times before you really get your head around it. Um and this is no mercy, no respite, so this is gonna be in the same category as grind them down, no prisoners to the last, um, which are already three good options for you know that you may want to tailor your list around. This is not something you're gonna tailor your list around either. So all right, uh, shadow operations. So this is going to be in the same category as raised banners and uh, R and D. Spore nodes score four victory points each time a unit from your army successfully completes the following action: seed spore node action. One troops unit from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase from the second battle round onwards. If it is within six inches of your opponent's deployment zone and not within six inches of any spore node objective marker. The action is completed at the end of your turn. If this action is successfully completed, place one objective marker anywhere wholly within your opponent's deployment zone and within one inch of that unit that completed this action. This objective marker represents a spore node, but does not count as an objective marker for any rules purposes other than for this secondary objective. Interesting. Interesting. I, I don't think the the placing a marker is necessary. 
No. Um, but I assume it's in there to make sure you don't forget that you've done it. Right. Um, but yeah, so you just do an action within six of your enemy's deployment zone. It's finished at the end of the turn. And you get four points each time you do it. But it has right. to be a troops unit. It has to be a troops unit. It has to be within six inches of your opponent's deployment zone. Oh, and you can't do it within six inches of where you did it before. Yeah. So you're going to have to, you, you, basically, you're not going to have one unit just camp out and just keep doing it every turn. Um, it's, I think, actually, you know, that's not bad. Right. Four no, points. it's not bad. You've only, got, you've only got six troop units in your army, though, and they're likely right. to die the following turn if they're within six of your opponent's deployment zone, you would assume. You would assume. Um, but so you're going to have to have a lot of chaff units you're going to sacrifice to get this done. Um, yeah, but I mean, four points each time you do it is, is not bad at all. Right. I mean, you could, you could reasonably sacrifice three units of gargoyles, three small units of gargoyles, or three units of hormigons to knock this out. And yeah. then, you know, you've racked up 12 points. No harm, no foul. That's not bad. So I think that's it's that with some play and with some practice and some familiarity, I think that's something that Tyranid players can make work for them. If you yeah. build your list, that is a build your list for it thing. Agreed. Uh, all right. You want to do the last one? Yeah. So this is the purge the enemy uh, slot. So this is your assassinate, bring it down, Titan Hunter, um, etc. Each time an enemy character model or unit champion is destroyed by a melee attack made by a hive tendrip model from your army. Roll a d6, adding 2 if the Hive Tendril model has the Feeder Tendrils keyword, and adding 2 if the Destroyed model has the Character keyword. On a 6+, plus, you gain 1 Command Point. Okay, so I'll break this down. So if you kill a character, you roll a d6, and you add 2 because it's a character. But if you had Feeder Tendrils as well, you'd add a further 2. So you'd be on a 2-up. 2-up, yeah. Uh, and then you get a command point. Okay, and then how you score from this, uh, at the end of the battle, you score three victory points if you gained one or more command points from it. Okay, so that's a nice just flat three for that. And it's one point for each character and enemy unit champion that you've killed. Okay, and then okay. it's three victory points if you killed the enemy warlord with a melee attack from a hive tendril model from your army. And by enemy unit champion, I'm assuming they mean sergeants and... Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's detailed in the, the core book, but basically it's your, your sergeants. That's interesting. It's not, it's not bad. No, it's, it, it is, it's definitely assassinate plus. Mm. It's, it is, I mean, you're scoring better than you would on a regular assassinate. Um, but it may be a little hard to achieve... Again, and but again, and also getting the the bonus command points is nice. Yeah. Um, again, this is definitely a you must build your list. You must build your list to do this. Yeah. You got to be melee focused with this. Right. You're not. You're not going to throw together your Chronos uh, Gorgon list and go. Oh, I think this turn I'm gonna I'm gonna do this one. Uh, you, congratulations, you'll score one point. <laughs> um, also, I gotta say I dig the name of this one, Cranial Feasting. Oh God. Yeah, it's great. That's very cool. And I I had to, I gotta tell you this one. Um, so a buddy of mine, uh, that I've known for years, he used to do a, um, he's a retired police officer now, but he also did as a part-time gig back in the day, he did special effects for movies. Um, when, uh, we lived in California, he lives in Florida now. Um, and, uh, 
it, so in the movie Starship Troopers, he worked on Starship Troopers. And there's that scene where they go in and they pull that 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 dead body over and there's a giant hole in the dude's head. Yep. And there's and his brain has been sucked out. And you even hear Michael Ironside go in his cool voice. He sucked his brains out. All right. The model, like that head was a complete sculpt of my buddy's head. So every time I watch Starship Troopers, I'm like, ah, there's Dave. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, so when I, I see cranial feasting, all I can think about is uh, is my buddy Dave Miner getting his brain sucked out uh, by Star- by Starship Troopers. So uh, all right, guys, that kind of wraps up part one of this uh, Codex review. Um, I definitely want to thank Mike for uh, jumping in last minute here and um, and partaking uh, in in helping all this out. Um, I will be right back to close all of this out, but um, we uh, we got to do the uh, the battle ready segment with uh, James from Siege Studios. So, uh, James, go ahead and take it away. Okay, James. So, I've got another question for you today. Um, Let's do it. Basing. Okay, this basing a model for me is like the bane of my life. I hate doing it, but if you don't do it properly, it just looks dreadful, and you spend all the hours on the base on the actual model, and if you don't finish it off. So, what I want, James is a really simple technique for basing, um, whether it's like a, a color scheme that you think would work well with most color armies. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on basing? I think, I think basing is really important for any, any project. It kind of, it's like having a, it's like the picture frame that surrounds a picture. It's not the main focal point of the item, but it adds so much to it. And I think one of the key things about basing to get is to, number one, take the environment around. Now, I won't say a specific style because obviously that's applicable to many people's different tastes and their armies, etc. But what I would say is I'm not personally a big fan of cork because it damages, it chips off and things like that. I'm a bit old school. I like sand uh, and I like making myself a mix so what I'll do is I'll collect like I'll I'll buy like four or five different types of of, of different grit sand, smashed slate, tiny little bits of smashed slate, um, and then I'll have another pot that has like my uh, decoration. So it's like the sprinkles that you put on a cake, but for miniatures. So I would put on, for example, like a couple of skulls or an enemy head or a bit of gantry or a bit of rebar or something that adds a little bit of interest to to the base, um, and it tells a little bit of a story and adds adds a lot to the piece. So it's all about very simple things that you can do that don't take a lot of time, um, but that add a lot of intricacy and variation to the base. So just different types of basing material um, and then a, a, a dash of sprinkles or skulls in this case, uh, or additional little bits and bobs. And it really does help bring the, the, the base and just finish off the model quite nicely. Right. So do you then stick the model on the base first and then sand and grit with your special James combo mix or... <laughs> And do you sell this because I'd buy it? Um, but do you then, or make all the bases up and then paint the miniatures and then stick the miniature on the base once you've finished all the basings? How do you do it? Uh, I uh, I prefer to have the basing material on the base uh, of the model uh, from the beginning. So I'll build and clean the model. Um, I'll use a sharp knife to scour the base uh, and that gives you a little rough uh, texture to the base that then when you put PVA on and put sand on, it kind of creates a bit of a foundation for that sand uh, and PVA to stick to and solidify and and and, uh, and, and grip onto. Um, once that dry, I then go over with a 50-50 PVA water mix. Uh, don't just reapply PVA over the top of it because it's too strong, it's too elasticated and tacky, and it'll actually rip and make the uh, the basic material that you put on lift off the surface. So just once you've once it's dry with the first PVA application, water and PVA 50-50, and then literally just uh, apply that over the top. 
Um, I prefer doing it when they're on the models, uh, when the models are on the bases, because then you've got to pin the models on. The connection sometimes can't be the best. It's not level, so the model won't sit, sit on it properly. Um, and then um, and then what I would definitely say is, um, is, is doing it with the model attached to the base and, and it teaches you to be neat with the brush and apply the PVA around the feet quite nicely. And secondly, that way your base gets painted at the same time as a model, as in you undercoat it, you'll be able to prime it at the same time, obviously, with the colour. It just adds uh, a layer over the top of it that helps solidify and keep that basing material on the base. Um, yes, I know it's a bit more arduous when it comes to um, painting at the end because you've got to be careful around the feet. Um, but I can assure you it lasts longer, stays on the model and, uh, and just is a very efficient time-wise as well, which I think is quite important. Just then to be clear, you paint your miniature first and then you paint the base after, I'm assuming. Yeah, so you'll say, for example, I was painting Blood Angels, I'll paint them red. Uh, the base will get covered in red paint as well. Then I'll go in at some point during the painting process and put on my, uh, my base colour for my base. So let's say um, a sandy colour or a brown colour or a green or a grey or whatever it is, what environment they're in. Um, it just allows the, the other colours that you put on, so for example, the red for the armour or the undercoat, for example, to just add another layer of protection and sealing onto the basing material and just makes it stay on and be stronger in the long run. Right. Okay. And then once you've done that, you put your, you know, your sand color on, do you then do like a dry brush over the top? Or? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of different tonal variations of, uh, of, 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 uh, sort of dry brushing will just help to add a little bit of tonal variance to the base and add interest to it. They're really, really quick bases to do. Um, and then, as I said, if you scatter some bits of bits of interest on there, like some decoration on there as well, it, it really does give you a really dynamic and quite intricate little base quite quickly. Right. Last question then on the base. Before we move on. Yeah, yeah. Do you do a black rim or do you do the same color as what you've just based the model in? Uh, always black rim. Looks more professional, I think, uh, generally. But um, sometimes, you know, different colors look quite good. Uh, it depends if you're doing, uh, again, I know if we're talking army painting, then just you can do like, you know, um, different steel legion drab, which is obviously what GWs on a lot of their box arts, or you could use um, you could use Mornfang brown, which is quite a nice sort of ready kind of warm brown as a base rim colour, which I think looks quite good. Really, you don't want a colour that's going to clash with the model. Um, so really, just, just pick a colour that is either warm or cold to suit the piece that you're, that you're working on. Um, if it's a comp model, I'd always go black rim because I just think it, it's like that picture frame analogy. It just frames the model really nicely. Brilliant. Well, thanks, James. And I'll see you next week. See you next week. And we're back. Thank you, James. Um, that is it for this week. Again, a uh, huge thank Mike for, for jumping in and helping out. Um, Steve uh, wasn't feeling well and so had to take this week off. Uh, um, he will probably be back next week, but uh, if he's not, um, Mike, I hope you will come back again and, and uh, do this again. Certainly will. Uh, we got to finish up next week. We, guys, we will finish up uh, the last, uh, we'll do the second half of the codex. We'll, we'll go over the strats. We will go over the, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, synaptic imperatives and synaptic, uh, range rules. And we'll absolutely get into the data sheets, yeah. um, on the individual units and talk about all that stuff. I also think that, uh, Kyle had said that he wanted to jump in on that part of it too. So it may be, uh, you, me and him, uh, jumping in to do uh, yeah. the second be part, awesome. which, would be, which would be a whole lot of fun. So I will also add. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talk about here, we also go through um, in a bit more detail uh, on our members' content on YouTube. So if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, definitely check it out, Vanguard Tactics on YouTube, and then become a member because it's a great way of supporting us and uh, getting some really cool content 
I go through a list that I've designed with Hydra. We go through how you beat NIDs because they're going to be a problem. Uh, and we also go through how NIDs work. So some of their synaptic imperatives in a bit more detail. Cool. Very cool. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Um, as always, uh, we, we appreciate your support. I uh, hope you uh, got a lot out of this. And we will see you next week for part two of the Tyranid uh, Codex review. Until then, this is Dave Calmel for Michael Costello saying, I'll have a vodka martini. Shake it. Not stir. Thanks, guys. Thanks.